Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Caitlin. You don't tell me how to captain. I don't tell you how to pirate or something oh okay oh like the beginning of the movie <laughs> yeah like like that one character says oh i wanted to the thing where patrick wilson says like you will call me ocean master like oh <laughs> that would have been better that just i think is imprinted on my mind for you know welcome to the bechdel cast they're not all hits right at the top sometimes you gotta just get into it uh, and it takes a little time. We gotta find our groove. But welcome. Uh, my name is Jamie Loftus. My name is Caitlin Durante, and this is our show in which we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens, using the Bechdel test just very much as a jumping-off point. Yes. But what is it, Jamie? The mo- oh, the Bechdel test or the movie? I'll say both. I'll do both. We're do we're do doing both. Aquaman today, a movie from James Wan, one of my faves. I love watching interviews with James Wan, and this isn't passing the Bechdel test, and here's why: the Bechdel test <laughs> is a media metric created by queer cartoonist Allison Bechdel, sometimes called the Bechdel Wallace test. There's many different versions of it. Here's the one we use: we require that. Two characters of a marginalized gender with names speak to each other about something other than a man for two lines of dialogue. There are so many three-hour movies that don't pass this simple metric, and this movie was almost one of them, but we'll get there (laughs) later. But we're covering Aquaman, and uh, I'm I'm very excited to discuss this movie, particularly because we're bringing back one of the greats. We sure are. Our guest is biracial Anishinaabe, founder of the Ayla Test. You remember her from our episode on Frozen 2. It's Ali Nadi. Hi. Hello and welcome back. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me back. I was so happy when I got your email and I was just like, yes. Yay. <laughs> been pumped about this. Oh my gosh. And you have brought us Aquaman 
tell us about your relationship with this movie. Okay, so going a little bit earlier than that, when you reached out to me, I was like really struggling with a movie to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh man, because, you know, Native people, you know, we're not a monolith. You know, we come from different cultures, different, you know, mm-hmm. parts of the country, mm-hmm. different parts of the continent. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so there's a bunch of movies I want to talk about, but I don't belong to those specific groups. Maybe someone from those groups should be the one talking about it. And then I wanted to talk about Avatar, but I'm like, you know, maybe not for Thanksgiving, you know, (laughs) (laughs) maybe not for Thanksgiving, but, um, yeah, so I really struggled and I was really thinking about it. And then finally Aquaman, you know, I realized that even if it's not specifically Polynesian or Hawaiian, you know, he is american he is indigenous and Mm -hmm. he's biracial and so am i Mm -hmm. and um that was the last film that i ever saw in a theater with my mom so Mm -hmm. yeah so there's gonna be a lot of moments i apologize in advance i'm gonna cry don't apologize probably a couple times and uh yeah like this movie ever since it came out ever since i saw it with mom really spoke to me mm-hmm. as someone who is biracial as someone whose mother is white and whose father is indigenous and it really i felt represented in a way even if i wasn't polynesian and hawaiian you know it mm-hmm. really it really did uh tug on my heartstrings and i felt kind of silly like saying that just because it is a goofy superhero movie that may or may not be that good, but I had a fun time. <laughs> oh, I had a blast. But I mean, everyone deserves to be represented and seen in the whole spectrum of movies, whether they're goofy superhero movies that perhaps have plots that are messy. Oh, Caitlin's. <laughs> I mean, thank you for sharing that, Allie. I mean, with that context in particular, like, of course, this is a special movie to you. And like, it's... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was, uh, I had not seen this movie. I think I, I just generally, I, I usually wait on superhero movies because I get, st- I don't, I get stressed out seeing them in theaters because I just feel like everyone knows something that I don't. And I'm like, I can't hang and they're going to be mad at me. But I really, I, I thought this was, um, it was perhaps a bit long, but I, I love James Wan's work and I was very like, kind of surprised and impressed having very very little understanding of Aquaman other than knowing him as like the goofy superhero because he is a fish um but but outside of that I didn't know anything and I I thought that the way that the themes that were kind of chosen for this this Aquaman story were was really cool and and most of them worked really effectively and for me canonically Patrick Wilson and Nicole Kidman wore the same wig for the whole movie. <laughs> and that was awesome too. So yeah, I'm a, I, I, th- I think I'm a fan of this movie. Yeah, I think I am. Caitlin. Oh gosh. Well, I saw it not in theaters, but I did see it on a plane. It's a good plane movie. Like nine months, a year after it had come out. Cause enough by then enough people had seen it. And I had heard, I'd heard the reviews, which were, I feel like pretty mixed and still are as far as like, and I I was admittedly, when I first saw it, I was like, "Mm, you know, the mise-en-scene is is busy and the plot is... James Wan, though. James Wan. (laughs) Yeah, when I first saw the action scene, I was like, 
Oh, that's interesting. I was having a lot of sensory overload throughout <laughs> <Yes>. the movie. <laughs> um, but then when we reached out to you, Allie, so this is our quote unquote Thanksgiving episode in the sense that we are releasing it on the day that a lot of Americans observe Thanksgiving, but we wanted to showcase an indigenous movie or, you know, a, a movie by indigenous filmmakers or a movie that has some indigenous ties to it. And then we reached out to you, Ali. And then when you came back to us with Aquaman, I was like, oh, right. right. It didn't really occur to me that this would be like considered an indigenous movie. And then you spoke a little bit about it. And I was like, oh, yes, of course. And I knew that you would like bring this really great perspective that would give me a better appreciation for the movie, which like it already has. And I know that our like conversation will and like, yeah, I still think about the Frozen 2 episode all the time because I feel like that might be like possibly the most (laughs) that I've been like (laughs) mind blown and swayed on a movie that I was not at all expecting to see very much in in the course of an episode like I I don't know I think about it often Aww. I'm I'm really touched I'm really glad that you guys like that and value my insight so much <laughs> yeah yeah of yeah. course yeah and um even going with Aquaman like again I had like a lot of uh, turmoil because I'm not you know Hawaiian and I'm not Maori like um mm-hmm. Tamira Morrison is the actor who plays his dad he's right. Maori which is indigenous to New Zealand Mm-hmm. And um, it's a very important distinction that Native Hawaiians, while they are indigenous, they are not Native American. Right. That is a big one. You know, like a lot of people try to lump them all in because we're indigenous and it's it's not their Polynesian. They are mm-hmm. very adamant that, you know, they are not American, you know. Right. But still, you know, like, it's still indigenous. And I felt more comfortable talking about this movie just because it isn't like Lilo and Stitch or Once We're Warriors, where it is very distinctly a Hawaiian film, a Hawaiian culture, or a Maori mm-hmm. film and Maori culture. You know, it takes place in Maine. <laughs> so it's... Right, right. And... um you know, like, even though Aquaman's design in the movie is uh, very distinctly, you know, Polynesian, you know, with the tattoos, and he speaks, mm-hmm. um, I think he says a couple lines of dialogue that are in Maori. Mm-hmm. That's what I was seeing just in the um, in the captions of the movie. Yeah. yeah. But he, um, those actors could have been played by anybody, really. I mean, they could have been black, they could have been right. any race, and the fact that it is indigenous like brought this entire perspective that really connected even if i'm not from those islands so mm-hmm. you know I, I feel like i'm kind of in a safe gray area you know i i don't want to <laughs> feel like i'm talking over anybody but it, it did speak to me and when i did a lot of research for the movie i saw that it spoke to a lot of biracial people just across the board so Right. And that, I mean, you bring up an interesting point where some of the characters are indigenous, Aquaman is biracial, and that's acknowledged in the movie, but it's, it doesn't become this thing where like so much of his identity is like, oh, I'm so torn and Mm. look at me being the victim of racism all the time and stuff like that. It's more about like, his identity is just normalized within the context of the world he's living in, which, uh, and like you said, he could have been played by any actor of any color in a way that, again, just like normalizes 
his existence in the world, which is like what we're yeah. trying to move toward when it comes to representation. So yeah. that was something I really appreciated about it. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I, I love Jason Momoa and like, you can't not love Jason Momoa mm. as of this recording. I feel like we always have to be like, yeah, as at this time, no, but um, he's great. And I, I feel like I, I really, and we'll get, we'll get into this too, but uh, going off of what you were just saying, Caitlin, I really was touched by how like thoughtful Aquaman was as a character and how he was like, I mean, not, you know, whatever, every superhero has to be emotionally stunted if they're a, a man without <laughs> fail. Like that's just the law. <laughs> but I thought, I felt, I felt like, you know, I'm trying to think of a specific example, but I feel like there's a lot of superhero movies where the like male hero, like, doesn't have feelings or like I don't emote blah 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 and Aquaman's like struggling with his you know finding his place in the world and trying to figure out where he fits but he like talks about it with people and mm -hmm. like talks about like even when he there's th that scene um when they're on the boat um Aquaman and Mira are on the boat and he is talking about how he killed oh what is the character what is the pirate character's name david black manta david black Kane, manta yes i think is his name <laughs> I, know, I i was always like what's his name i because I, I thought it was like a superhero name and i'm like david david but slash manta. manta yeah <laughs> yeah uh but um he's talking about how he feels like guilty for killing manta's father and mm -hmm. i was like yeah i feel like you don't get those moments from superheroes very often and then they have a discussion about his like role in the world and where he wants to be. There was actually, there was a lot of like scenes between Mira and Aquaman that were reminding me of like Simba and Nala in the second act of the Lion King, mm. where she like shows up and she's like, you have to be King. And he's like, <laughs> oh, that's, that's not my life anymore. And th then eventually, wow. obviously it is. That is a great point, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Women be uh, telling men they have to be the king. It's just... I mean, it's, it's a trope at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I'm so excited to get more into the discussion. Mm -hmm. Let's recap the movie and then we'll get into it. Yeah. Okay, so we open on Aquaman's mom and dad meeting in 1985. Uh, his mom is Atlanta, played by Nicole Kidman. She is the queen of Atlantis who fled to land to escape an arranged marriage. His dad is a human man named Tom, played by Tamura Morrison. Who is a lighthouse keeper. He's a lighthouse keeper. That is hot. That's really hot <laughs> that he's a lighthouse keeper. He is really hot, period, in anything. True. He's really, yes. Unrelated to being a lighthouse keeper, he's hot, but it doesn't hurt. He's also been the voice of Boba Fett for, like nearly 20 years i want to say yeah he was Django fett and uh yeah. clone wars and that or clone wars attack of the clones mm -hmm. and then he's mr fett in some capacity and has been for a while <laughs> he's back in the mandalorian and he's mm -hmm. doing the book of boba fett the only time i have never liked him was in once for warriors because he's like violently abusive in that movie Ooh. and oh, it's I like seen it. oh it's hard like get a mouty mm -hmm. guest on the show 
to talk about the movie because it's good but it is like ah i almost hated him mm-hmm. <laughs> thank god yeah. he made this movie because i love him again uh-huh. but <laughs> yeah this one he's at, he's being a good dad in a lighthouse and i love yes. that for him <laughs> so atlanta and tom fall in love and they have a baby named arthur and then when arthur is a small child Orvax, the king of Atlantis, or one of the kings, because you find out there are several kings, who Atlanta was arranged to be married to, he sends soldiers to capture Atlanta and bring her back. And she realizes that she has to return to Atlantis. I kept writing down Atlanta in my notes, so if I accidentally say Atlanta Atlanta. to refer to either Atlantis or Atlanta. With um, my accent, I'm going to call him Akaman at least 20 million times, so... (laughs) Apologies to everyone. Yeah, I'm going to say the wrong names all the time. So she kind of surrenders and returns to Atlantis in order to keep Tom and Arthur safe. I'm I'm such a fool. I was like, wow, I can't believe Nicole Kidman did this movie for two minutes. That's so interesting. Mm. But then I was like, oh. And then later I was like, oh, right, right, right. right, right, right she right. wouldn't do that. <laughs> that mm. wouldn't make sense. Uh, she does say that one day she will return, which is foreshadowing. Uh, That's a plant. Can I just talk about like that whole introduction to the movie? Because, mm. you know. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. I'm going to try to keep it together. So my... um. My mom and I, when we went and saw this movie, I had just moved home from Finland. Mm -hmm. I was going through a divorce and she had pancreatic cancer Mm -hmm. and was just about to go into receiving treatment for that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so watching this movie with her, like right next to me, Mm -hmm. she, um, you know, it was kind of foreshadowing things that, uh, not only that I was going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Please take your time. Take uh, your time. But, you know, also, uh, but also things that my dad was going to be mm-hmm. dealing with mm-hmm. as far because um, you want to be hopeful. Mm-hmm. You want to be hopeful, but you know, you know that that's not how it's going to be, you know, in the end. And um, her absence in the movie, you know, like it touches the characters so much, you know, like mm-hmm. when he goes down to the the dock every morning. Every morning, yeah. You know, because she says that, you know, we'll be together again and she'll see him again. And that she'll, yeah, she'll, she's like, I'll meet you here one day. And then of course, Arthur, you know, like not having his mother in his life is damaging, you mm-hmm. know, like it's, it's painful. And especially like with this extra layer with racism and separation from your culture and not really belonging to that culture, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. especially not fully belonging to a culture of someone that you love on top of that, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh yeah, it gets to you, you know, when you're watching this as this biracial kid, um, mm-hmm. kid, you know, I was like 30, but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, sure. watching it and, uh, yeah, just kind of sitting there in the theater with mom and watching this and kind of knowing, you know, in the back of your head, mm-hmm. yeah, what's going to happen. And, uh, the whole intro to the movie, first 10 minutes of Aquaman, I'm a mess like this, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but thankfully Thankfully, the movie is a lot more fun than uh, <laughs> right. than this. The tone yeah. the tone shifts a bit from that <sighs> point onward. 
Um, but it is. I mean, it is like it's really beautifully done. <laughs> like the the that scene of them. Oh, for sure. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, because they they do. They look just like my parents. I mean, <laughs> it mm-hmm. totally looks like my parents. So that wasn't lost on me. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And I love, I love that Aquaman loves his dad. <laughs> yeah. You know, especially, especially you know, like. <laughs> as someone taking care of my dad mm-hmm. you know as someone taking care of your dad you know by yourself like no, i'm not really by myself like my sisters help too mm-hmm. but you know i i live with him and i take care of him and make sure that you know the house is taken care of and that he's taking his medicine and stuff you know mm-hmm. and uh yeah. seeing aquaman's relationship with uh his father as you know i you're his son but you're also his best friend and you're also his protector you know it's Mm -hmm. uh yeah yeah i do want to talk about their relationship more because i feel like that's one of the big strengths of the movie it's i mean then just like how it's so funny because it's like i i feel like that like is a testament to the actors Uh, like you don't actually spend a lot of time with aquaman and his dad but when you do it's you just like feel it Mm -hmm. and his dad is so like awesome (laughs) yeah good and supportive and you know aquaman's like i'm not aquaman and his dad's like okay yeah you are (laughs) it's awesome like and again, that it that feels like an outlier in a superhero movie where it like mm-hmm. someone who's like very I mean, even though Arthur can't be with his mom for the majority of his life, he, it, she's he's still very connected to her mm-hmm. and thinks well of her. I don't know. It's just I was like, oh, this superhero loves his parents so much. Right? <laughs> they love him back. It's so nice. Yeah. And then there's Patrick Wilson. Oh, man. <laughs> This guy, <laughs> this asshole. <laughs> oh, yes. The character, not the actor. Right. The actor's good. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's about to show up. Before we see him, though, we briefly see Arthur a few years later on a school trip to the aquarium. With the two worst bullies ever <laughs> in any movie ever. <laughs> Brutal. That was so much to me like the scene from the first Harry Potter movie where like yes. he's talking to the snake through the glass, except Arthur's talking to some shark or something and then there's like two Dudleys behind him trying to bully him and they're like so much older than he is which is even weird he looks like he's about like four and they're like (laughs) they're like two feet taller than him I'm just like James Wan fanning out here but I feel like things that happen in James Wan movies just happen like weirdly at an 11 sometimes for no reason at all and I felt like that bullying moment I'm like why is this so intense and why are the bullies so old and like what is happening um yeah but then it or like the moment where it's like whatever mira and aquaman almost kiss and then there's an explosion like next to their heads and you're like (laughs) mr Wan, that was not necessary but i'm i'm glad you did it (laughs) there's like 20 explosions in this movie that happened out of nowhere i'm like why again It's, it's, it's quite jarring he's just like we have the budget let's do it (laughs) the important thing we learned from the scene is that aquaman is able to communicate with marine life Mm -hmm. then we cut to him as an adult he's now jason momoa he's already a badass superhero we see this uh, sequence where he stops this pirate attack against a russian submarine and the main pirate is 
David, a.k.a. Black Manta, who is not quite Black Manta yet, but he's like kind of having his origin story in the background. Oh, um, fully having his origin story. There's a Shakespearean <laughs> monologue. There's a dramatic <laughs> explosion death. Like, Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, he's played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. So Manta now has a vendetta against Aquaman because Manta's dad dies during this attack and Manta blames Aquaman. I felt so bad for him. Like, I legit, ah, oh, I mean, like, even watching it, I'm like, oh, man, that was mean as hell. Right. Yeah, because he's like, ask the sea for mercy. But then, yeah, Aquaman does feel, like, guilty about it later. So. I'm glad he does, because I felt bad. Yeah, That was brutal. Like, mm-hmm. I know that they're bad guys, and I know that they, like, killed innocent people, and they're stealing shit, but mm-hmm. I'm like, man, the dude is begging you to save his dad. Oh, my God. I yeah. don't know if I could say no. I'd fucking take him to jail. <laughs> you know? Damn. Which, I mean, honestly, makes for an interesting superhero, because a lot of superheroes are so morally pure and good that right. it kind of gets boring like boring so for aquaman yeah. to be like no dude see ya later and then and then for him yeah. to like experience like which is a pretty human thing to do he's like acting in sort of the you know the emotion of the moment and then later he has like a conflicting emotion about it and yeah that's just all very human stuff my feeling of uh, that yeah that sequence i thought especially like thinking about it when it comes up again later in the movie because I wasn't sure if it was like when that was going to come back was like I feel like he was doing kind of like almost like a the way that Arnold Schwarzenegger would handle an action scene where it's like quip shoot murder kill (laughs) but then we as the audience have to stay in that scene and like watch how it affects the people who like the cool superhero leaves behind and oh that that scene of like david climbing like the ladder shot i was like oh it's so like it's so sad and i was Mm -hmm. like i think that that probably happens in action movies and superhero movies all the time but the movie doesn't be like and we're going to stay here, too, right. just so you right. can see how upset these pirates are. <laughs> like That was good, though, because I feel like that legit like solidified him as a good villain with a good reason yeah. to hate Aquaman. He's strongly motivated. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that scene at the, the mid credit scene at the end with him and Randall Park, I was like, all right, I'm a, I, I guess I'm excited for the next one. Let's go. <laughs> I I feel like really bad for him though. Um, on another note, just because this movie, it's so long, but it's it's so long, but it has so much stuff in it. So there's so much lore. There's so many flashbacks. So much history. So much mm-hmm. legend, and all of it is awesome. But it's like they only really have time for one bad guy, and this movie has two. So he yeah. kind of halfway mm-hmm. through gets kicked out you know like yeah. out of the way black manta i'm doing other cool things it's like they should have just saved him for the second movie i agree yeah or this one and then did something with orm later but i, I don't yeah. know it's like oh, i feel like That's he true. deserved a, a lot better mm-hmm. every time he's in there he's great but it's like you deserved a little bit more <laughs> yeah give him more space for sure yeah i felt the same way i hope that he's the like main I mean I'm hoping that that mid-credit scene sets him up as like the character in the second movie I hope Mm -hmm. I hope so too yeah um let's take a quick break right here and then we will come right back witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other 
as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com And we're back. Uh, So meanwhile, underwater in Atlantis, there are several different kingdoms. Uh, King Orm, that's Patrick Wilson, is the king of one of them. He is Aquaman's half-brother because Queen Atlanta is their mother. They obviously have different fathers. His right-hand man is Volko, a.k.a. Willem Dafoe. Which he keeps calling him his vizier, which I've only heard that word applied to Jafar. Same. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay, so Willem Dafoe is the Jafar of this palace. Except a good guy and not a villain. Yeah. He's nice Jafar. <laughs> uh, he's, also, I it, it didn't occur to me till like halfway through the movie that Willem Dafoe is, I feel like, one of the few people who's in the MCU and the DCU. That's right. As like super different characters. He's a villain <laughs> in the MCU. It's also weird to see Willem Dafoe not as a villain. Yeah. Uh, so that's quite something yeah i think the only time he played like a hero or otherwise protagonist was in platoon oh sure and let's not forget the last temptation of christ or whatever oh, that movie oh is. jesus yes <laughs> literally. literally jesus 
famously Literally. a hero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this is another, I mean, I guess Willem Dafoe doesn't get near the lighthouse in this movie, but it's another movie with a lighthouse that he's in. Wow. Wow. Good point, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you. That's why, that's why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> um, so King Orm is trying to unite at least four of the seven kingdoms so that he can become ocean master and legally declare war Love against it. the surface dwellers and which he wants to do because he thinks humans are going to be the demise of Atlantis and everyone living underwater which we are because we are destroying our oceans yeah um I don't even think that's preachy like you know how in like fern gully and stuff like that like the environmentalist issue kind of feels a little too on the nose uh-huh. it's like i yeah. mean that's kind of valid man we are destroying the ocean and the ocean is massive and vast and we're fucking it all up yes so yeah that's another reason i'm really psyched on the um the randall park character because it seems like he's gonna like he's like an environmentalist like he's gonna bring all of that into the next movie mm-hmm. as well but that, yeah i mean like patrick wilson obviously big old evil villain like spouting some of the nastiest rhetoric you could imagine in this movie, but humans are destroying the ocean. I mean, but then Nicole Kidman kind of shows up at the end. She's like, "No, they're not." It's <laughs> like, "Yes, we are. are. <laughs> we are." I do like when a villain is motivated in such a way that is compelling, or that like the audience can understand yeah. where they're coming from, even if we don't agree with like the execution of their plan or or whatever it is but like oh maybe deeply fucked up character but yeah we're like yeah you're not wrong humans are destroying all of the environment okay we're back on land this atlantean woman mara played by amber heard she comes to the surface to relay all of this information to aquaman and she's like we need your help. We need to stop Orm. Again, Nala basically being like, you gotta come and be our king because he is the rightful heir to the throne because he's the firstborn son of Atlanta. And that's the moment you realize, oh, Jason Momoa, even though he's like six years younger than Patrick Wilson, is supposed to be older than Orm's character. He's taller, and that equals older. Yeah. And then also, Nicole Kidman is supposed to be playing Patrick Wilson's mother. She's like seven years older she's than him. Years older. <laughs> just don't think too hard about it. And she's only 12 years older than Jason Momoa. And yeah, I'm like, okay, you did not cast an age-appropriate actor to play their mother. Well, I don't know what kind of like pact that Patrick Wilson and James Wan have, but Patrick Wilson has to be in all of his movies or... Except for Malignant. But Patrick Wilson isn't in like literally all of James Wan's movies. So Mm. that's, I think, why he's here. Got it. Something uh, interesting that, you know, upon watching Aquaman uh, several times was, um, or, you know, like, I don't know if he's a good villain, but the interesting thing about him is that there's room for like complexity because you know Mm -hmm. he benefits from a society and a system that gives him power of course Mm -hmm. and it's interesting that he doesn't hate his dad for killing his mother you know there's never a moment where it's like atlantis was fucking wrong for what they did to my mom this is bullshit right because it's easier to blame it on aquaman like, if it wasn't for you and it wasn't for your dad, my mom would still be alive and this mm-hmm. is your fault, which 
goes into like the racial implications too because he's totally an yeah, ocean colonizer yeah. he's like an and... ocean supremacist like he he <laughs> is started by the end of the movie he's like spouting pure blood like he's he's like yeah they go all the way with that character he's it's getting like very fashioned with his yeah <laughs> politics yeah i i noticed that as well and like contrasting that with how aquaman feels of like i sort of assumed just based on having seen superhero movies. I was like, oh, okay, Aquaman's going to blame himself for what happened to his mother, and then that's the journey of, like, it wasn't all my fault. But it's, like, it's more detailed than that, and I really liked that scene with Aquaman teen, with Willem <laughs> Dafoe, uh, and he's saying, like, the opposite of what Orm is saying. He's, like, he's furious at the system that allowed that to happen to his mother, and... I just feel like, yeah, it speaks to like how different their environments were and how different their upbringings were, where like Patrick Wilson was raised mm -hmm. by a fascist and, you know, Aquaman was raised by a very kind lighthouse keeper <laughs> and it makes a difference. Patrick Wilson is white <laughs> and mm -hmm. Aquaman. Patrick Wilson is white. Because yeah. <laughs> that's the other thing, like um, with Aquaman, there's never like a line or anything in the movie where, you know, he'd be like, why you think you're special white people treat me like shit all the time on land you guys aren't any different blah 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 you know what i mean mm -hmm. and it's you know there's never a line of dialogue like that but for the biracial people in the room watching this it's like oh yeah of course he would think that way you know and mm -hmm. of course aquaman's going to be thinking you know oh it's the fucking system you know it's atlantis and these racist ass white mermaids <laughs> that killed my mom for loving a brown man mm -hmm. like human but the human in this specific example is indigenous right right and uh the other guy's like no it's you mm -hmm. <laughs> no so that's interesting like right it's not subtle i wouldn't say that it was subtle i think it's just apparent and just kind of treated like duh right yeah if you get it you get it mm -hmm. yeah the metaphor is is pretty clear <laughs> that's another thing one more thing sorry yeah no <laughs> but like um it was interesting to me because as awesome as like polynesian mermaids would totally be mm -hmm. i like that the atlanteans are white i guess and the humans are indigenous like at least in this story mm -hmm. because it could have been so easy like because I've seen this so many other times where it's flipped, where it's like, oh, well, I'm the outcast and I'm the illusion and the allegory for racism, even though I'm Harry Potter and super white or I'm Sabrina Spellman and I'm white. And they're calling right. me half breed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like, no, you're not the illusion to racism. It's like the racism is present, but it's kind of taken the backseat to speciesism. I guess. Right. Yeah. I hadn't connected that. But yeah, it's like the yeah. it's not the like one to one othering narrative that we've seen a ton of times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that gives it a level of sincerity too, as far as like the allegory, because it could have been, you know, take away Atlantis and everything. It could have been another story about racism and mixed ethnicity and all this other stuff. But right. you know, it's like, okay, so it's gonna be about this with the mermaid politics who just so happens to have a biracial polynesian indigenous actor mm -hmm. and i'm like okay that's better right yeah, <laughs> yeah. a little bit more sincere <laughs> yeah i appreciate that yeah um okay so let's see mara has shown up and she's like yeah uh, aquaman you gotta come be king you gotta stop orm 
Um, and she also tells him about this sacred trident that had once belonged to King Atlan that if he can find, he can use it to dethrone Orm. And he's like, no, that trident's just a myth. Then Orm causes this huge tidal wave that destroys this coastal town. It nearly kills Aquaman's dad. It sends a lot of trash that had been dumped in the ocean back onto land as sort of like a warning from Orm. Mm -hmm. So this causes Aquaman to agree to accompany Mera and help her stop Orm. So they go to Atlantis and meet up with Volko, who, by the way, we learn through flashbacks that throughout Arthur's childhood, Volko has been training him basically how to be Aquaman, like be this magnificent fighter and teaching him how like, you know, nice Jafar, nice Jafar, you you can breathe underwater, you can see underwater, you can talk underwater, all this stuff. So he's been like training Aquaman his whole life. It is so fun to see scenes of Willem Dafoe being so nice. <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> just like wow, or that like scene where they jump off the cliff and he's like, "You want to see something cool?" I'm like, "I this vibe is unfamiliar to me. This is nice." <laughs> right? So good. Yeah. I love that scene. One of my favorite shots in the movie is when uh they're sitting on like the edge of like that cliff under the water and just watching all the mantas like swim by. Mm, yeah. Like this movie is so gorgeous in theaters. Like just seeing it on a big screen mm-hmm. was just a treat. <sighs> Another thing. Vol- uh, what's his name? Volko? Volko. Yeah. 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 Okay. So how do I tie this in? Let's. Um... So once upon a time in the United States, it was illegal for Native Americans to practice our religion, mm-hmm. our culture, you know, residential schools and right. just government policy. Like you could not be Native. And if you did have anything as far as like a rattle, a drum, sweetgrass, sage, you know, anything like that, mm-hmm. if you were caught practicing and praying, you know, you could go to jail for it. You could be in prison for it. Mm-hmm. So this part of the movie, again, it's subtle, but, you know, when you're Native and you're watching it you know it kind of clicks it's like he's learning about his culture in secret because they don't want him to know about how to be atlantean it's like you're a human and we don't want you here Mm -hmm. anyway but it's like learning about that element of who you are when you're disconnected from it and learning about the history and the customs and how to fight and how to use your abilities. I mean, in this movie, it's talking to fish and swimming and Mm -hmm. finding out who you are, but still it's like finding out this wonderful part of your family and your history and the culture that you belong to. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a small observation. I just yeah. like really, I really like that. Yeah, totally. Layers. This movie's, <laughs> I was like, once we start talking to Allie, I'm going to be fully like, this is the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> you know what? Much like the ocean, this movie is deep. Yeah. It can be. And <laughs> it can sometimes be. it's shallow. And sometimes it's shallow. <laughs> <laughs> just like the ocean. Okay, so let's see. So Volko, they meet up with Volko, and then he has a clue about the final resting place of this sacred trident. But before they can do anything about it, Aquaman is captured and brought to Orm, who Aquaman then challenges to a duel. And the terms are that if Aquaman wins, Orm will stop the war. If Orm wins, he's like, Aquaman, you're over. So I guess he's going to 
kill him. I'm not sure exactly what that Confusing like. terms, uh, which quickly <laughs> becomes clear that they really should have hashed out what the terms were. Because <laughs> well, cause he's like, all you know, the war will be over. And he's like, but if I win, you're over. <laughs> which is funny. So silly. Aquaman should have just laughed at him. Yeah. <laughs> Orm is evil, but sometimes he's such a petty little asshole that it's almost like it's the same like brain scratch that when you see a succession character acting out where you're like, you're being so silly right now. The <laughs> When he screams like, I am Ocean Master. You're like, okay. okay. Are you though? Are you? Are you though? You're not giving me o- Ocean Master. <laughs> In that wig? I don't think so. <laughs> That's, oh, I love it. <laughs> Right here, we get another quick flashback where Volko is training teenage Aquaman. And this is also when Volko reveals that his mother had died long ago and that she was sacrificed by King Orvax, who had gotten very jealous when he found out that she had had another son with a human man. Okay, so I feel just because of that detail, you know, that he found out that she had a child with another person and that was enough not even another person but like human Mm -hmm. that was enough to execute her yeah and i mean just judging from the fact that she fled this arranged marriage and Mm -hmm. spent years away you know out of the sea Mm -hmm. and with this person and that they came after her you know um i think it's kind of safe to assume that or may or may not have been conceived of rape I think that's fair to assume. I think that that is definitely, yeah. Or at least, like, coerced into, like, obviously she was forced to marry this person, but, mm-hmm. you know, Mira's being in this arranged marriage as well. Right. But she's kind of, you know, like, oh, well, whatever. You don't have to love someone to marry them. It's a political thing. But this very clearly was not the case with Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I'm glad that they just kind of leave that up in the air, you know, where it's like, right. yeah, this is possible. It doesn't need to be directly harped on, addressed, and yeah. 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 But it's it. Yeah. I mean, that is like, unfortunately, yeah, very, very conceivably true. And I thought it was. I mean, uh, just another. I mean, and this movie is interesting. Is written by two men, one of whom is a former cop. So, you know. Oh. <laughs> Uh, former LAPD police detective. This is getting worse. Wow, really amazing. <laughs> uh, cool, uh, cool and great. So, I don't want to like repeatedly. I've, I'm like someone else in the room came up with this idea because I, you won't see me handing it to an LAPD officer. But I did like with Atlanta and Mira, two characters who are in who are at different points in time in virtually the same situation, but dealing with it differently and that was again just more than i expected from a superhero movie with a gigantic budget i feel like if you have two with the you know they're basically the same person and you know aquaman is like wow mommy is girlfriend now life is wild you know but (laughs) but mira and atlanta in spite of how similar their predicament was they think of the situation and approach the situation very differently because they're different people and Mm -hmm. i hate that i didn't expect the movie to treat them as if they were different people because i i feel like we've seen mommy as girlfriend now so many times but i appreciated that at least they did that yeah and and i think it's because uh like 
Mira and Orm have this conversation. It's like very brief where she's like, do you think your mother would want to see her two children kill each other? And it sounds like they grew up together. Like she must have known Atlanta when she was younger and she must have known Orm when she was younger. And that's probably why she's a little bit more chill about like, okay, if I got to marry my best friend, whatever, but Mm -hmm. you're wrong. (laughs) To marry this fucking dork from school. Uh, who at least she is it her okay so this big battle between Aquaman and Orm is about to happen in like the ring of fire or whatever they call it it's so big it's this fight is so large so they have this battle where kind of neither of them end up winning because Orm is sort of incapacitated in some way and I think it's because of are we to understand that Mera uses her like water manipulation powers to sort of like whatever fuck him up a little bit and then it allows her and aquaman to escape is that what happens something like that it's uh (laughs) all i remember was just the scoreboard where it's like look at how awesome orm is and then look at this stupid drunk native man who wants to fight him right so i feel like Mara's like we can talk about this later too but I feel like Mara is playing her cards really well where she's like effectively convincing Orm that she's like his ally and yeah like this freaking Aquaman guy is such an imbecile or something like that and then she's really just like doing this to get away from Orm because she realizes like what a scary tyrant he is yeah. Anyway, so this fight happens. Mera and Aquaman escape, and then they head to the Sahara Desert to follow this clue that will lead them to the lost trident. As they enter the Sahara, it just blasts the worst cover of <laughs> Toto's Africa ever by Pitbull, and it comes out Pitbull. of nowhere. Pitbull is singing. Oh my god! I like blacked that out already. Somehow that there's a Pitbull song in this movie. It comes out of nowhere because overall, like the soundtrack to the movie is pretty cool. It kind of sounds like Tron Legacy or something, you know. It's uh, yeah. and then Pitbull, and then oh, Pitbull. Except for the end credits song, where there's a song where it's just like everything happens for a reason. <laughs> I also like that. There, I yeah. This whole section of the movie, I was like, this is like the. Not obviously the same because they were all over the world, but I was like, this is like the national treasure section of the movie yes. uh, where yes. they're like collecting different things and they're like, we need this. We need this. We're and going that clue here. leads to another clue and that clue leads to another clue. Yeah, exactly. The scene where Jason Momoa is like, and this statue means this and this statue means that. I was like, whoa, he's doing the he's doing the Benjamin Franklin <laughs> cage thing. With Romulus. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's amazing how awesome. Aquaman becomes national treasure for like 30 minutes. His file was like, all right, sure. So they go to the Sahara Desert. They find this like secret sand chamber where they're able to play King Atlan's ancient message, which then leads them to Italy. I think they're in Italy. I think um, it's like Sicily, somewhere yeah. that region. Right, right, right. Yeah, because there's like a Pinocchio joke that <laughs> yeah. is planted and paid off when they go to Italy for some reason. You're like, right. what's happening? Hilarious. I really like that scene, though, in uh, Sicily, just because uh, earlier when she takes Aquaman to uh, Atlantis for the first time. And I think I read in an interview where James Wan was talking about this, how he wanted the audience to like 
experience Atlantis the way Arthur does, you know, for the very first time Mm -hmm. and just the wonder and the amazement of it when he's flying through and he's seeing this metropolis under the ocean and all of this amazing, beautiful things, you know. Mm -hmm. So that scene is amazing. And then when he and Mira are walking around the desert and she's talking about people destroy our oceans you dump all your garbage into our seas and blah 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 and this is the worst place ever and he's like yeah but we've got you know big mountains and beautiful forests and big lakes you know i mean like Mm -hmm. we got some stupid people running the place but you know like the land is beautiful too Mm -hmm. and she doesn't really like pay that any attention until she's in sicily and then we see her you know, experiencing Sicily for the first time and seeing all the flowers and the the fruits and the people and that little mm-hmm. girl at the fountain and yeah. she's just yeah. it was so good. And then she starts eating roses. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, Yum yum. It's like this is strange. <laughs> it was good. Uh, I like that. Like yeah. I don't know. The movie has scenes that work so so well and it almost feels like a different movie because it's like Mm-hmm. when it's excellent it's excellent and then when it's really really clumsy it is very clumsy <laughs> it's all over the place yeah 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 so they're they're following this next clue but then black manta shows up who has been um absent for a while <laughs> who's been absent for a while but who has also established this alliance with orm and so orm is like kind of making manta do some of his bidding and trying to get him to kill aquaman um, so he shows up and attacks Aquaman and Mera. There's a big fight sequence there. They eventually get away and head toward the location of the Trident, which is in this kind of like underwater oasis cave place where, surprise, guess who's there? Queen Mommy. Atlanta. Guess who's going to cry again? <laughs> <laughs> Very soon. I did not see that coming. I, I did not see it coming. <laughs> I thought either, she honestly. Died. I thought it was, oh, yeah. Yeah, the audience and Aquaman has, everyone, basically everyone has been led to believe that she died because she was sacrificed to the trenches, but she managed to survive and she's been like hiding and living in, you know, seclusion this whole time. So she and Aquaman reunite. They have a nice tender moment. And then Aquaman goes and gets the trident, which he's able to do because he is the one true king. He gives this whole kind of speech about how uh, he's he didn't come here because he thinks he's worthy. He's he came here because like this is the only choice he has to like save humanity, basically. Because he's also talking to this like giant fish creature who sounds like Flotsam and Jetsam from The Little Mermaid. Whatever that was, I loved that big scary fish. I was like, I watched that scene twice because I was like, oh, it's just this this mean fish that has like a really hard grip. Like, and he's like, you're never gonna get this trident from me. And then Aquaman's like, well, what if I did? And he's like, oh, you can hear me. And Aquaman's like, yes. And he's like, well, all right. See if you can get it. And then just like totally neutralized threat in the space of like one kind of cute. Jason Momoa's performance in that scene also was like, I I just, I just, uh, Jason Momoa is so fun. Like his delivery in that scene where I don't know if maybe, maybe it was a choice. Maybe he just like, there was scratch audio and he wasn't hearing the voice he was responding to. But the, the scary flotsam jetsam fish is like, 
wait, you can hear me? And Jason <laughs> Momoa was so like, funny. yes, I can hear you and I can understand you. And it was just like, <laughs> oh, it was just so funny. I loved that scene. Yeah. There are <laughs> two wonderful lines in this scene. Uh, it's when Arthur is talking to uh, his mom. He's saying, you know, he still walks to the end of the dock every morning waiting for you, which, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. ugly cry. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then um, she says something. She's like, you need to be more than just a king or whatever. And he's like, what could be greater than a king? And she says, a hero. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, that was the point where I'm like, this is the indigenous representation that I really just want for like little kids. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, just a hero, you know, like, I wonder if that is how like, because uh, I used to work at a gym for a little bit and, you know, would work with little kids. So mm-hmm. one of the bonding experiences between me and these kids would be superhero movies and just how much my mm-hmm. black students loved Black Panther mm-hmm. so much, you know, like that was their hero. And it's like Aquaman, when she said that line, I'm like, this is what more than ever, I feel like the little kids in the audience, you know, the little biracial kids, the native kids the hawaiian kids you know like they don't need a king they need a hero they need someone who's gonna Mm -hmm. do these incredible things and who look like them and are special and are you know extraordinary and then when he's talking to the scary cthulhu monster (laughs) and she's telling him you know you're not worthy and blah 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 what makes you think that you're worthy and he just straight up tells her he's like i came let me read it. It says, I came to save my home and the people that I love. The Trident is their only hope. If that's not good enough, then screw you. And I'm like, <laughs> I love it. Our king. Oh, Batman who? Uh, <laughs> Batman who? <laughs> Wonder Woman who? <laughs> right. Which is like, again, such an interesting deviation from so many superhero movies or so many like, I guess, um, like chosen one narratives where it's like, you have to prove your worth and you have to like do the thing that prove like, but in a way that feels different from, cause he proves his worth by like acknowledging that he's like, no, I'm not any more worthy than anybody else. I'm just here yeah. in this time of need. And I'm like, I need to take action against this tyrant. And like, that's, you know, if that makes me worthy, then so be it. And that is what ends up happening. But like, I feel like so many other chosen one narratives or I don't know, it just I really liked that about this, where it's just like, he's like, No, I like, I'm not special. I just like, am here to help. And then it's like, cool, that makes you worthy. Oh, hell yeah. But that means you are special. Like, <laughs> but yeah. he is special. He is. I know. I was like, Jason, don't be so humble. You obviously are going to get the trident. That is the other thing is like legit. He, he like is saying, you know, like, I, I know I'm not worthy. I know I probably can't be king. I know I'm probably not the best choice. I'm like, motherfucker, you were fighting with Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman in the previous movie, and you haven't mentioned that once. Like, bruh, I would have thrown that in right. Worm's face. <laughs> You're welcome. Mr. Humble. I, for, I always forget that because I just, I don't have the correct brain for it. But I'm like, oh, yeah, he knows Batman. Super, like, you know Batman. Yeah, those are his paths. I, yeah, I didn't see Justice League, not the theatrical cut, nor the Snyder cut. So I always forget that 
so Aquaman has already been introduced as a character into this cinematic universe a year prior to this, I Mm. believe, because Justice League was released theatrically in 2017. So he's already existed in this universe as this character fighting alongside. Yeah. And I think chronologically that all happens before the events of this 2018 Aquaman movie takes place, too. So, yeah, he's already done all this like superhero shit. And then now he's like saving the world on his own uh yeah yeah i always forget that because i skipped justice league it's not very good i'm sure that they sort of want you to forget that they don't want you to like hyper fixate on all the cool shit because it kind of undercuts the story but i i mean i don't know the script did make me forget i just sort of assumed i was like well i guess he just hasn't met them yet because like you're saying ali i'm like i wouldn't shut up about it like (laughs) yeah I was said, oh, listen, Orm, <laughs> you wouldn't have an ocean if I hadn't saved the planet from Steppenwolf. Right. So you're welcome, Ocean Master. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Ocean Master. How do you oh like God. that? Ugh. Oh, that Ocean Master line read really killed me. I was like, it's God, how do you say that with a straight face? Very <laughs> funny. Wild. Okay, so there's just a little bit of the story left. Uh, so, you know, Aquaman's getting the trident. Meanwhile... Orm is launching an attack against some of the other sea kingdoms because I think he's trying to like gain control over them so that he can launch this attack against the surface. That whole thing, I was like, I do not totally understand what he's trying to do. But then Aquaman shows up with the trident to stop Orm. There's another big battle. Aquaman and Mara kiss at some point um, because she does have to be his girlfriend. <laughs> Not only, oh. like, ah, uh, it comes out of nowhere, but it's like, you know, it's Jason Momoa and she could die in the next scene, so fucking get him. But also, <laughs> I wonder if that's what kissing Jason Momoa is like, where you just, like, the chaos just kind of stops that there's like explosions <laughs> and it's just uh time stops i mean like fucking lisa bonet i know it's mm. like is that every day could she comment and confirm is that what it's like to kiss aquaman yeah please let us know lisa <sighs> i also had that thought that i was like oh if i kiss jason momoa i probably would also feel like a whale just took me away to some a second location <laughs> afterwards because a whale just shows up and she's like gotta go and like <laughs> later i hope that that is the jason momoa experience that i that a free willy shows up and uh just takes you where you need to go <laughs> afterwards right <laughs> So they're having the big battle. Uh, Aquaman eventually wins against Orm. Atlanta shows up and she's like, my two sons. And then Aquaman shows Orm mercy. Orm is taken away as prisoner. And then the people of Atlantis accept Aquaman as their king, a.k.a. King Arthur, which is also funny. I love it. It makes you Um, think. And then the movie ends with Aquaman's mother and father reuniting on the dock and having a beautiful kiss and then we get some voiceover (laughs) from Aquaman saying that their love that probably never should have or like you know wasn't supposed to happen uh it did happen and end up saving the world ah the end and you cry, 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 cry so much. Uh, let's take a quick break and then we will come right back to cry and discuss. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. 
Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. And we're back. Where would we like to begin? I, I mean, there's not a ton, ton, ton of... Um, there are a few context things that we should touch on before jumping back into the story, maybe. But the things that stuck out to me was... I, did, I was like, God, the screenplay ultimately was co-written by a cop. Uh, so, <laughs> Will Beale... <laughs> What the fuck? Um, fuck. (laughs) Co-written with David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick, which is a lot of names in a row. We've also got a story by credit from Jeff Johns. Yeah. Question mark. (laughs) All I have to say, I mean, most of this crew seems to be like, with kind of the outlier of Will Beale, I don't really know why why he's here, and I kind of wish he wasn't, but um, it seems like James Wan was allowed to kind of bring his, like, team of people he usually collaborates with to this movie which is cool because it looks like a James Wan movie and not like they just threw all these DCU house people at him and he didn't get to make the movie he wanted mm-hmm. that said a lot of men really male heavy uh, mm-hmm. production like top level production stuff is all all guys and are they uh, I know James Wan isn't white but are the other writers are they people of color or are they uh let me double check but i do not believe so yeah uh, james bond is chinese australian will beale is a white cop uh (laughs) yeah i was doing a I was doing a quick google of everyone and it is it is mostly white guys at the top of this project yeah that's Mm -hmm. a little 
I don't know. That's a little surprising, especially with all the nuance that this film kind of has with the racism. Mm-hmm. I, I know that like just tangentially that like these movies are like there's writers rooms that take place around mm-hmm. these movies and those writers don't get credited. So I'm assuming I just am assuming that whatever goes right in this movie, a white cop didn't write. Um, like but, he wrote all the Nazi shit, probably. But yeah, yeah, he's like, oh, Orm, I'll take Orm, I got it. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to acknowledge, and, and and then also just um, for the 500th time this episode, shout out James Wan because mm-hmm. you gotta love him. He's and if you and if you haven't really gone into the Waniverse, <laughs> he made I I never get like I don't know. There's certain people you think of and you're like. I'm so upset at you for being so smart, so young, and so like he made the Saw movie, the first Saw movie when he was like 25 or something. It's ridiculous. Right. He ah. did Saw. He did The Conjuring. <laughs> he did Insidious. He did like Shit. he did. He just did Malignant. He's oh, malignant. like 43. I was like this man, and he seems like such a sweetie pie. <sighs> James, I wonder. I wonder if Super Yaki has made James Wan shirts. I would like one. Um, I think another important piece of context for this movie is that canonically, or I guess at least as far as like comic book character, Mm -hmm. Aquaman was created in 1941 Mm -hmm. as a white character. Mm-hmm. And then when Zack Snyder, whoever was in charge of casting Jason Momoa as Aquaman in 2017 Justice League, basically was just like, this doesn't need to be the white character that we saw in the comic books. Right. We can just kind of cast whoever. They cast Jason Momoa, who is Native Hawaiian and to some extent Native American on, I believe, his mother's side, but he, I think, doesn't necessarily claim as much yeah. heritage there. So he, um, just to uh, give that some clarity, hang on. Yeah, yeah. Jason Momoa is a bit of a problematic fave just because he has played Native American characters in the past. He was in a movie... Uh, called Roda Paloma, I think is how you say it, mm. uh, where he played a native character. He was on a show called uh, The Red Road, where he plays a native character, and mm. he was on Frontier, right, where he plays a native character. <laughs> and again, you know, yes. the important distinction there is, you know, like Hawaiians are not Native American, and Native Americans are not Hawaiian because it's you know different, different cultures, different histories, different cultures. Mm-hmm. So in an interview for The Red Road on Sundance TV, the lady interviewing him asked him if he has any Native heritage. And he says, you know, my grandmother, she has a little bit of Pawnee, but I wouldn't say that I have enough. And I think that that's an important distinction, kind of problematic phrasing, you know, in a way, you know, you don't Mm -hmm. really want to talk about blood quantum and go into that. Hurrah. But, you know, the fact that he does acknowledge, like, you know, I'm a little bit uncomfortable claiming to be Pawnee, even if grandma might have been, I am Hawaiian. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that, you know, at least with Aquaman, it's like, yes, this is Hawaiian, this is Polynesian, but it's also indigenous and American. And, you know, like he can really, I don't know, I feel like this creation was very much part of uh, Jason Momoa's influence Mm -hmm. and uh, it feels more sincere that way because it's like 
dude, stop fucking playing native characters. Let a native person play the character. (laughs) I honestly wasn't aware of the full, like the full context of, of his history there. Thank you for, for uh, letting us know. Mm -hmm. Uh, We started to touch on this and Ali, you were speaking to this already, but I'm interested to hear uh, you speak more about kind of your connection with this movie, especially in terms of like it's indigenous representation. It's an indigenous superhero that there aren't really any other examples of that. It's biracial representation. I mean, yeah. 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 If you want to speak to that anymore. Well, it was interesting when I did my uh, research and um, so many people, you know, like wrote these articles about Aquaman being like the first actual big biracial superhero and like i even was like trying to you know i'm like is that correct you know like i'm going back and mm. the only one i can really think of was brandon lee and the crow because he's chinese and white right. but mm. little kids were not watching the crow you know like the same <laughs> right. audience watching the crow yeah. was not you know like it's not as accessible as aquaman was so mm-hmm. in the same way that blade and black panther are different like people try to say that black panther isn't the first black superhero that was blade and i'm like yeah but children were not the target audience for blade they may have seen it (laughs) that was like r-rated right it was like it's very gory and and graphic yeah and blade wasn't presented as like look at this role model for children (laughs) no no Right. Yeah, and even Jason Momoa, like in an interview, so he says, uh, honestly, to be the first mixed race superhero in 2018 is like, really? Is is there not one? He's like, that's a huge honor. And to play it so close to who I am in all of his imperfections, I get to play it in a way where you can really slip between those two worlds. And I'm excited for the world to see it. He says, I haven't seen Aquaman yet because I'll be able to see something with my kids for the first time. And I'm going to be really emotional and affected and to hold their hands. It's going to be a really cool moment to be a dad with a 10 year old and 11 year old. It's pretty special. And Mm. uh, yeah, you know, like that's what I think too. Like, again, you know, I used to work with kids at the gym and stuff and there was this one specific little boy, you know, and he's black. I don't know if he was biracial. I think both of his parents are black, but he had these beautiful like amber colored sort of, their brown eyes but they kind of had like yellow in them a little bit Mm -hmm. and he would like go I have eyes like Aquaman you know I look like Aquaman (laughs) you know what I mean it's like I love that you know like this kid who clearly is like even if Aquaman isn't black there's something you know it's a brown superhero it's biracial superhero it some elements of him look like him and it's Mm -hmm. like you know that's what I want for these kids you know especially indigenous kids you know who really might not have a role model like superman or batman or something Mm -hmm. to that extent Mm -hmm. you know like seeing yourself on screen is is very important especially like when i think about representation for me you know there's a million actresses out there who look like me there's a million characters who look like me but i don't feel like they are me mm-hmm. but then when i see native actresses you know in shows like uh, reservation dogs or you know mm-hmm. anything else really i'm like i don't feel like that's representing me either because i'm 
so white passing and biracial and Mm -hmm. not really connected to the culture and i think that's why i gravitated so much towards frozen 2 when it came out because it was you know and aquaman too in this extent especially with the dad and you know the parents looking so much like mine and Mm -hmm. all the other stuff Mm -hmm. i hope that answered your question i kind of went on it (laughs) no that's like that's so that's so lovely to hear like yeah this movie i mean this and again it's like this movie is it's so interesting to me because this movie wasn't marketed in that way at all like it was just like here's the aquaman movie and then mm-hmm. like i just and and i and maybe i just wasn't engaging with i feel like i'm i'm my my feed does not superheroes don't come up in my feed a lot uh so maybe i missed this discourse but i didn't hear much about it either i mean it was like i i was very pleasantly surprised that mm-hmm. and it's and it just fits into the story so seamlessly yeah Another thing I think is really interesting about the narrative is that Aquaman, the character, being mixed, being biracial, mm-hmm. even though it's never explicitly stated in the movie, like he's half Atlantean and half specifically indigenous human, it's always just like he's half human and half Atlantean. Like we've mentioned, there's like a clear allegory that can still be drawn. Because he, you know, he still has indigenous roots, and you can see this allegory of like, yes, he's half white because Nicole Kidman's a white woman, and half indigenous. So even though there's like not an explicit discussion happening about that in the movie, really, there's like this, you know, clear allegory that's being presented. Even so, in the movie, him being mixed is a thing that gets commented on quite a bit both by his like enemies who see him being mixed as like a travesty you know he's called what are clearly like slurs Mm -hmm. by Patrick Wilson's character by King Orm versus other characters you know his allies are constantly reinforcing this you know you're the bridge between these two worlds we need you and this is part of what makes you worthy because you have these two experiences you have backgrounds from both of these worlds both of these people that can unite us because there you know there's Nicole Kidman shows up at the end and she's like there aren't two worlds actually it's not you know the surface people and the underwater people we're all from the same planet we are one and again like the voiceover (laughs) the voiceover in the end is you know, Aquaman saying, you know, my father was a lighthouse keeper. My mother was a queen. They never were meant to meet, but their love saved the world. They made me what I am, a son of the land, a king of the seas. And it's like this celebration of his like kind of bicultural identity is what saves the world. Uh, let me comment on that one. Please. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the end of the movie kills me. <laughs> hmm. okay so um when he says that i know he's like you know speaking in terms of like atlantis and people you know but Mm -hmm. so saying you know like they were never supposed to meet but their love saved the world it's like Mm -hmm. that got to me you know like for a number of reasons um Mm -hmm. you know all things considered my parents were never supposed to meet, you know. Mm. And uh, my dad's parents certainly were never supposed to meet. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. 
with residential schools and colonialism and all these terrible things that have happened, you know, in the United States and Canada, it's like, grandma was never supposed to be alive, you know, it's like, dad was never supposed to be alive, you know, like, technically, none of us are supposed to be here. And, you know, like, when you put it in that perspective, when you think that, you know, against all odds, like, we're here, and mm-hmm. we're here because grandpa loved a native woman and they had children. And then my dad met my mom, you know, like how easily could grandma have been sterilized at those schools or could have died at those schools? Like we're mm-hmm. still finding, you know, all of these bodies of these children, mm-hmm. you know, that are buried at different residential schools and stuff. And it's like, <laughs> that could have been any of them, you know, that could have been auntie, that could have been grandma, you know, like the state Mm -hmm. could have taken dad away from her, you know, and it's like so many things could have happened where they were never supposed to meet and they did. Mm -hmm. And uh, even then, like once upon a time, like interracial marriages were illegal until like the Mm seventies, you know, like they could have went to jail for being married, you know, or, you know, having interracial children. So Mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, against all odds, finding each other in this life. I mean, it's kind of beautiful. And I'm happy that the movie ended on a happy note. I'm glad that Aquaman's mom didn't get fucking fridged, like usually, you know, (laughs) so the end where, you know, she's the end where she's there and he finds her again. It's like when you're sitting in the theater with mom and you know that that's not how it's going to end because she's sick. It was still kind of healing. And it's like, you know, I'm not really religious or anything, but it's like at the end of all things, I kind of hope that that's where we find her someday, you know? I'm so happy I'm not the only person on the planet who fucking cries over Aquaman because like the other (laughs) articles that I've read where people said that they got very emotional too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I don't know if this movie meant to go so deep, but I interpreted it (laughs) deeply. So (laughs) no, Uh, that's uh, the beautiful thing about art and and stories and movies is that they can be interpreted any which way they can be, you know, the experience that you're any viewer is bringing into the viewing experience will kind of inform. I think it's really beautiful that a James Wan superhero Aquaman movie is something that's so like profoundly important and like impactful and effective to you. I'm so glad. And I'm so glad you have that, that memory with your mom too. That's really beautiful. Yeah. That's really great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Me too. (laughs) It was good. Good last movie. And uh, a happier memory was uh, when we were watching it is at the beginning of the movie when he uh, breaks into the submarine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <laughs> mom, she she would watch all of the, the MCU with us all the time. Mm-hmm. And her favorite was Thor. Like, she loved Thor. <laughs> and then nice. when Aquaman broke into the submarine and is just beating everyone's ass, she's like, oh, no. I don't know if who I like more now. Do I like Thor more or do I like Aquaman more? And then that dude hit him. <laughs> 
and he like did that little head tilt before he like kicked his ass and we're uh-huh, both like yep. yeah aquaman <laughs> <laughs> sorry chris <laughs> oh that's awesome aquaman. your mom had a type uh long-haired <laughs> muscly men huge man <laughs> who's also a teddy bear <laughs> right oh Ah. Oh, that's oh. so funny! Another lovely memory. Yeah. Man, we're going, we're going deep on Aquaman. I'm so yeah. happy. <laughs> this is, uh, uh, it's good. Yeah. It's a good movie. I like it, even if it <laughs> kills me. It's a good movie, and it made. I, I I wanted to just shout out how again. I mean, I I feel like at this point, for the majority of people, it's a commonly accepted truth. But like, this movie made a shitload of money this movie made over a billion dollars yeah like globally i think yeah like i didn't i guess i didn't remember how wildly successful this movie was um because i just don't pay attention to the dcu because i assume it's boring but then i'm like well if it's james wan it's not going to be boring and it made a billion dollars i know the dceu just hasn't been like None of them are really any good. I would say, like, they only had, like, three really, really good ones. And that would be this one, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Birds of Prey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah those are the ones. Yeah, yeah. those are really, because the Superman ones haven't really been that good. The Batman ones really haven't been good. Wonder Woman 1984 is awful. Oh my gosh, what a turd! Uh, so bad, really. And I mean, not for nothing. The the three good DCEU movies were directed by women and people of color. Not a white guy to be seen. Wonderful. Mm, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's huge box office success. Which, by the way, it's as of this recording, it's the twentieth highest grossing film of all time. Wow. But hilariously, only the fifth highest grossing film of 2018, which means there were four other movies in 2018 that grossed more, which was like an Avengers movie, Black Panther, Incredibles 2, and I'm forgetting the other one. Oh, uh, Jurassic World. Whatever Jurassic World came out in 2018. Oh my god. Yeah, I guess that's that's so wild. And all the while, we couldn't get a better wig for Mira with a billion (laughs) dollars. (laughs) That's... She looks so much like Ariel from Disney's Little Mermaid that it's bit. distracting. I did, um, obviously, I mean, maybe this is the part where we can, like, kind of say it, like, as we talk about Mira. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, like, there is definitely, obviously, a conversation to be had about domestic violence and abuse, and it's not something that should be ignored or overlooked, of course. Um Several places have already discussed this and, you know. As far as Amber Heard. Yes. Right. Yes. yes. Yeah. As far as Amber Heard and everything that's surrounding that, the controversy. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why we really just wanted to focus more on the indigenous aspect of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is a lot to be said without really even mentioning her. Right. Yeah. But now that we are going to mention her, <laughs> you know, not to give, not to like... Um, it's not framing her in a positive light, so to say, more like the character, just kind of separating the two. Sure, sure, sure. Right, yeah. right. We want to acknowledge that we are well aware that this is, I mean, an ongoing case. And we'll, I mean, well, let's let's link to some resources to that effect in, in the notes of the show. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're not aware of the situation... We're not going to get into it here because we would be here for hours and it would it would take away from what we do want to discuss about this movie. But we are aware of the ongoing case with Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Domestic violence is always something that we want to never, ever erase in the scope of our show. Um, right. But yeah, so we just wanted to acknowledge it. 
that that is something that's ongoing at the time of this recording um, in terms of like the, the case is still right. going. And I believe that Amber Heard is not coming back for the second Aquaman movie. I think she is. I think they are filming because, oh. yeah, well, there was a lot of controversy around her casting in the second movie because they right. wanted to recast her and people wanted to boycott Aquaman 2 because of that. And it's like, you know, I know this is an unpopular opinion. I mean, whether she's in Aquaman 2 or not, I'm still going to see it because he is the only indigenous biracial superhero right like period right. and like why let her ruin that you know like for lack of better terms i mean why right. take it away you know according to imdb she does appear to be in the sequel that's she coming out be in, in about a year from now in december 2022 so yeah. okay well i will yeah, we wanted to make sure that we acknowledged that and, you know, it, it would have felt weird to not say it. Address it, yeah. Address it, yeah. But we'd rather focus on other aspects of the film. We're focusing on the story here. We'll, we'll leave a link in the description of this episode. Right. But, you know, just separating Mira from the actress, uh, mm -hmm. the character herself, I mean, is strangely pretty capable, I think, you know, I like tend to agree. Yeah, to an extent. I like that her motivation really isn't, you know, oh, I'm in love with Arthur. You know, it's like, no, uh, my soon to be husband is a fucking lunatic. And, yeah. you know, we have to save the world. And I have to, like, kind of teach this guy how to save the world she's kind of the impetus that gets aquaman even involved in the plot of the movie mm. yeah. <laughs> um, which is pretty cool i was all over the place with her honestly like there are certain scenes where i was like because i i totally agree with like she is the one that brings him into the action but she's like I think unless I miss something, the first time she participates in the action of the movie, like she fights, is an hour and a half into the movie. And the movie is two and a half hours long, to be fair. So she is involved in the act. Once she is involved in the action of the movie, she remains involved in the action and she's in the rest of the battles. But it it, it took a while for her to like become. And there, there was a and maybe I'm being like overly. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm being overly sensitive to this thing, but the first time that she fought, there was this music cue that I'm like, I know this music cue. It's guess who's fighting now? Like <laughs> there is that music cue the first time she fights where it's a long stare. Like she looks at the bug guy. I don't know. Like she looks at the scary <laughs> guy and she's like, oh, you don't think a girl can fight? Like she doesn't say it, but the music tells you that. And then she fights and then you're like, all right, I guess we broke the seal there. And then she continues to fight. And like, we know why she knows how to fight, like all this stuff, because she she had a mentor growing up as well. So it's not a Mary Sue situation or anything like that. But I wish she I, I do. I, I sort of wanted her to get involved in the action a little sooner because there were I think like, at least one possibly two large fight set pieces where she's sidelined and I didn't think necessarily had to be. Right. That's fair. Yeah. But I was also I was also paying attention to things like does she ever have to be saved by a man? Is she doing any of the saving? And I found that she she saves him twice. She saves him twice. One when the the first like that big tidal wave that Orm throws at them, she saves both Aquaman and his his dad, dad by also like kind of giving him like <laughs> 
Atlantean CPR, basically like using her powers to like extract the water from his lungs. And then she saves him from Patrick Wilson's fashy rage. Yes. <laughs> and the, after like the ring of fire battle. And yeah, I mean, when we do see her fighting, she is a competent fighter. She can turn wine into swords. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I know. I was like, wow, what a live, laugh, love moment. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, technically, Jesus is her teacher. So. Whoa! Oh, did you catch that? <laughs> William Defoe was like, guess what you can do with the wine? <laughs> Wow. Uh, Love it. It's so deep. Um, yeah, I think I think I just like that whenever that like girl fighting now music cue plays, I'm just like, come on. Come on, James Wan. You know women can fight. You've been doing that forever. But whatever. But and then toward the end, there is there is someone who saves Mira as they're approaching like the Trident's resting place and they're being attacked by all these like sea creatures. And at first I thought it was Aquaman. But then it turns out to be this like unknown figure who ends up being Nicole Kidman's character. So I was like, oh, okay. She at no point has to be saved by a man. Unless I'm like missing something or forgetting something. I don't think so. I don't think that happens. No, she doesn't. Cool. No. Okay. So that was, that, I was like, all right, that's, that's something for, you know, that's kind of unusual. And she's fighting with weapons. Like the bars on the floor. <laughs> right. But like she fights with weapons. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not like random stuff that's around. And has like powers i feel like a lot of superhero movies don't really equip if there is like one woman in the story she isn't like thinking of the first like avengers movie where black widow all these other characters have like out of this world powers and then black widow's like i can wrap my legs around a man's face and pussy slam him to the ground feminism (laughs) (laughs) but she's got actual powers also in the like when the movie turns into national treasure for a while and they're like having to use like clue solving skills she knows what to do with the first artifact she knows where to go and how to find it she knows how to access the recording which leads them to the next clue she memorizes that recording which aquaman like didn't even think to do or couldn't do or you know i relate to that too because i (laughs) legit would be like what did he just say and what do we have to do i would have to watch it 47 times and like write it down yeah and i like that it's like it's not just i feel like very often I mean, I think you could even make this argument for national treasure of like, even when there's a capable woman, she's along for the ride. I mean, in the case of national treasure, she's a hostage for a while. And doesn't do any of the clue solving, even even though though she's she's... like a historian. So, but but in this case, it's not only is Mira a very, very important active participant, they also share a common goal. Like her, their fates are connected. And so the stakes are extremely high for her. It's not just like, I have a crush on this guy, so I'm gonna help him out. Or Nicolas Cage has taken me hostage, so let me see what I can do. Like, (laughs) you know. Right. And then the second big clue, Aquaman figures that out because he's like, oh, Romulus was the king. We have to put the bottle in the statue's hand. And then that's how we find the thing. But it just means that there's equity between like, she solved the first thing. He solves the second one. They're like equals in this endeavor yeah which again is not it's like should just be this standard thing that we can expect but it's almost never that way it's almost like you know the man doing all the work the woman's there along for the ride to look pretty and to kiss at the end which 
does happen in this movie too. I would argue that this love story feels very yes. wedged in, doesn't really need to be there, doesn't really develop in any meaningful way, except for that one scene where she's like, "Look at me eat flowers," and he's like, "Haha, you're you're cute." And then it's one, and then they're kissing. <laughs> right. God, there were yeah, there were a few like hand brushes and then meaningful glances, and it's like, is this necessary? I mean, sure, I guess. And it, it didn't like super bother me. Because the characters do have chemistry, but it was like, I, I agree. It's like, it is wedged. It could have been uh, potentially like cuter, I guess, if she was more like a, a younger sister or something, as opposed to a love interest. Yeah. Yeah, because the optics of like, well, I mean, I guess who cares? But it's like, she was going to marry his, she was being forced to marry his brother. And then she's like, oh, I guess I'm just actually going to marry your hotter brother, your brother yeah. which feels very like, <laughs> classically royal story that felt like this felt like such a modern story and to have that like royal brother conflict felt more dated i don't know because I don't know. if they would have taken yeah. the kiss out of that big fight scene and then at the end where he's like what do i do now she's like be their king and he like kind of kisses her on the forehead before he does that thing i'm like how cute would that have been if that would have been like a big brother like i'm gonna be the king or whatever instead of oh we just made out and you know what i mean like something a little bit right more wholesome yeah. than tacked on yeah I, I like the little sister thing or like i'd like to just see more examples of like men and women being a friends. man and a woman being platonic friends in a movie yeah. that they don't have and fine they can still both be like movie star hot but also like it doesn't automatically mean they're going to be attracted to each other and gonna want to kiss so mad max and furiosa Furiosa, two hot people who don't kiss and they are just allies and i love that just let hot people be friends let just let the hot people be be friends friends for for once once. (laughs) (laughs) i would say in i mean as far as like so mara i don't know i would have liked to get to know her a little bit better she doesn't have that much of a arc she doesn't feel like that nuanced or complicated of a character to me i don't know i feel like there could have been more like i don't know just emotional nuance to her which i think could have been explored if she was like a member of their family like the little sister or you know a friend of the family who i don't know it just i felt like there there could have been more to develop her but i was generally impressed with yeah the way her character was handled and the amount that she was given to do and the agency that she had. I was, I was generally impressed with all of that. I agree. I agree. There is though a scene which kind of like pinged for me when it's toward the end, Aquaman and Mara have shown up at this like cave place where the trident is supposed to be. Nicole Kidman's also like, ah, by the way, I've been, hiding for 20 years and then we're also like does that mean that aquaman is only like 25 because i think she he was like a small boy when she oh right left. so i'm like okay yeah. i guess aquaman's 25 or something i don't think about it too hard. <laughs> um, jason momoa is like 40 something I think. yeah she's and she's supposed like, to be patrick yeah, wilson's yeah. mother like patrick wilson's like 50 you're like well i guess it's all relative we don't know how people in atlantis age the, right aging my aging underwater who knows differently this is just a goofy Atlantis observation but there would be some of the scenes in Atlantis where you would just you would just be seeing the actors from like the chest up and then they would suddenly cut to a wide shot and you're like oh they're floating they're, it's just like <laughs> that guy's hair is just like <laughs> Dolph Lundgren has like red hair and he's just right. like 
sort of floating around and his hair is all going everywhere. The scene where they take Willem Dafoe's nice Jafar character to the dungeon or whatever, they cut to a wide shot and like Willem Dafoe's like kicking. (laughs) And I just was like, that's so funny. I forget that he's swimming in this scene while he's going, um, he's being taken to the dungeon. (laughs) Yeah, it looks Uh, very silly. Anyway, so the three of them have all kind of reunited. It's uh, Aquaman and his mother and then Mera. And there's a scene where, like, Aquaman's like, all right, got to go find the trident. And he goes and, like, does the very important thing of the movie. And then he comes back to where Mera and Atlanta or Atlanta are just like, well, we had to wait for the man to do the important thing. And then we were just the two women who were sitting here waiting. Well, they don't want to fuck with Cthulhu. I think that's fair <laughs> enough. You do not want women with a tentacle monster in this movie because fandom is weird enough without Ooh, that. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, fair. Fair point. Fair enough. That pinged for me as well. And I, I feel like that could have been remedied by just like writing a short scene for them. Yeah. Because I forget who was saying it earlier, but like she would have known Queen Atlanta since she was very young. They would have plenty to talk about. She was mm-hmm. going to be forced to marry her bad son. She's falling in love with her good son. They just have known each other for a long time. Maybe they'll reminisce about something. What has Nicole Kidman been up to? Like there's so many questions and it, there could have been a scene with them. Wait, would they have known? He, wouldn't have Nicole Kidman's character been banished probably before Mara was even born? I don't know, because I think Mara says something. I think Mara says something like, this goes against everything your mother taught us or something. Right. Like, oh. it sounds, that was, yeah, the, it sounds like they, which, again, you have to suspend your disbelief and believe that Patrick Wilson and Amber Heard are the same age, which is very obviously not true. <laughs> but, yeah, mm-hmm. I like, I think that they would have known each other but even if not there's plenty to talk about yeah or if like if we want to throw in another like fight sequence in there where if like some of the sea creatures had like infiltrated this place and then we have to see these like two women you know kick some ass like it is an action movie after all like it just felt so weird to me that like he comes back and it's like these two women were just like okay we wait we were here waiting for you the man to do the important thing and we were just sitting here waiting and i was like (laughs) "Eh, that could have been handled way better (laughs) yeah probably (laughs) yeah but bottom line especially compared to superhero movies and the way women are treated in them for years prior to this uh Mara's involvement in the story is pretty decent. Yeah, yeah. It's motivated. There's action. Like it's good. Yeah, I wouldn't call it Trinity syndrome either. You know, I there's plenty for her to do. It's not like she just showed up and it's like, now what do I do? You <laughs> know, I'm here. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Look how cool I am. What do I do? Yeah, it's like nothing. Yeah, it's not like Morpheus sent me. It's like I sent myself because I see that uh, this man that I've been forced into a marriage uh, is trying to kill the world, so I have to um, stop him. Yeah, and then in the same in the same way, I mean, I, and I think we've kind of covered this at this point, but um, Queen Atlanta has a full arc. You know, it's it does seem like you're kind of led to believe for the majority of the movie that she is fridged. But then not only is she not fridged, but she gets to go on this like beautiful journey that makes me cry when I think about it. Um, (laughs) So, you know, there are certainly more 
characters of consequence in this story that are men, for sure. Mm. There's brother conflict. There's pirate merman conflict. There's fathers and sons. <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, male relations. And I don't even necessarily mean that in a bad way because there's a wide variety of them. And then there are like two women in the story, basically, and they are mm. both white ladies, mm -hmm. which I but the the women who are there, I, I think that the script does right by them and they have fully yeah. realized stories and they're motivated and involved. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the relationship between Aquaman and his dad. Because I think it's beautiful, and we do joke a lot on the show about how, like, ultimately, all stories are about fathers and sons. Um, this one doesn't bother me, though. This one's beautiful. It's, this one doesn't bother me. It's it's a very sweet and supportive relationship between the two of them. I feel like a, a trope you see a lot is, like, the younger man, the son, trying to prove himself to his dad and, like, kind of being toxic along the way. Or, like, the dad character needs to redeem himself because he's been a shitty absent dad for his whole life. But there's like none of that in this story. It's just like they've been together. They're supportive of each other. There's no like masculinity contest that either of them are trying to win. Mm -hmm. They're just like having a nice time together and they love each other. And I really appreciate that representation of like a father-son relationship in a movie because we don't usually get anything like that yeah there is a there's a line of dialogue that aquaman says toward the end that i found to be confused or i don't i don't know if this was a joke or what but it's when mara is saying she says something like we need to like encourage diplomacy or we need to like try to talk this out or like get it so that the different like kingdoms of atlantis are like get it's something along those lines like i, I didn't write down specifically what it was but aquaman's response to that was i learned from a young age not to show weakness i solve my problems with anger and my fists i'm a blunt instrument and i'm damn good at it and i'm like is that actually even true? Like, I feel like your father wouldn't have like I think he's taught like, you that. I think he's just trying to be like, yeah, I'm I'm just tough, and you. I'm a tough man. Uh, <laughs> the way that guys will like guys will like pull you aside and be like, look, I'm a little fucked up. And you're like, because he can was you, like relax. He yeah. was partying with those guys in that scene earlier. But it was so uh, right? wholesome. It was so sweet. Was, can like, we get a picture? I love that. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that was those like pictures. the nicest. Was, yeah. You don't see Batman doing that shit. Aquaman is so much better. He's a friendly neighborhood Aquaman. Yes. <laughs> Wholesome boy. <laughs> Wholesome uh, boy. Yeah. No, that, that relationship I thought was really well done. And it also didn't like, it was so, I don't know. Yeah. It, it didn't like overtake the story in a way that I feel like those relationships sometimes do. And like, like mm -hmm. you were saying at the beginning of the episode, Allie, there's all of these like, pretty nuanced themes in this movie that just it's just seamless you don't feel like the movie is like really pushing any particular theme on you it's just right. like it's just happening and it and it's good yeah that's really surprising because in like lesser hands you know like this could have been so messy yeah <laughs> and a movie sure. that's already kind of messy i'm happy that part wasn't <laughs> you know it's uh... right i did appreciate the like pro-environmental conservation message of the movie, although it was 
kind of weird that it was the motivation for the villain and that it wasn't also the motivation for like the good guys. That's a little <laughs> Ghostbusters for me. Yeah. We're like the EPA is the devil. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I feel like they uh, they didn't want to make the the villain too sympathetic, you know, where it's like right. Killmonger, mm-hmm. you know, like made so many good points. And it's like, well, we can't right. have y'all, you know, rooting for the bad guy. So let's make him a misogynist. You know what I mean? Like right. Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, I mean, people would be like, oh, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, see your point. Maybe I should uh, follow you, actually. Yeah. So then Orm is like, you know, well, you're not wrong, but you're also like a fascist dictator. (laughs) Yeah. Like Orm recognizes the environmental issue in a way that Aquaman doesn't as much. But also his proposed solution is violence and like racial violence and uh like would not resolve the problem but he acknowledges it so it's weird right and then at the end that line that nicole kidman when she comes to like i I, whatever it's a comic book story so when she goes over and hugs her son she's like don't do a fascism and he's like oh man (laughs) i feel so silly and like he's like i'm sorry mommy i really I wasn't going to, I definitely wasn't going to do a fascism. And, <laughs> and then, oh, I'll go to jail now. Oh, go yeah. think about what you did in the dungeon and like in the <laughs> swimming dungeon or whatever. And so it's like all very whatever, end of movie stuff. But then Nicole Kidman says something like that makes sense thematically with Aquaman's narrative where she's like the land and the sea, you know, we're all, she's kind of like, this is a monoculture baby. And it's like, okay, that is... <laughs> I see yeah I see why she's saying that but that really pushes the environmental stuff aside and because we've been seeing I mean that's why I'm I'm intrigued by the Randall Park character um and how he is going to team up with be held hostage by unclear uh mm-hmm. with black manta but i like it seems like the movie setting like the franchise is being set up to address that in a more meaningful way in the next movie i hope so seems like it i hope that there will be uh in the sequel i hope that there will be more women of color in it especially like polynesian women yeah mm-hmm. or more polynesian characters in general because you know yeah because <laughs> it's the polynesian superhero right, right. and also uh I guess the uh, the environmental issues, I wonder if it was also, now that I think about it, I wonder if it was kind of swept under the rug a little bit because Jason Momoa was protesting Mauna Kea around the time and then was also standing in solidarity Ooh. with uh, Standing Rock. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they were probably like, well, we don't want it to get too preachy because we're still Hollywood and, you know, <laughs> uh, don't want to make too many so, waves. Right. We don't want to yeah, be pro-environment. That would be <laughs> absurd. <laughs> that would be a bad look for us. And it's like, what <laughs> do you mean? Oh, God. I mean, yeah. And then you think about whatever you can, you can't, you just can't think about it. Like the carbon footprint of a movie like this is gigantic and there aren't enough um i mean that's a conversation that i we should have on the show someday but i just haven't done enough research on it but just like the massive carbon footprint that movies have and how there's basically no regulations Mm -hmm. on how much energy you can just bust into the air Mm -hmm. making you know willem dafoe swim or whatever it is like (laughs) right right yeah, I would like to learn more about that, too. I feel like we, like, very, very minimally scratched the surface when we talked about Babe 
on the Patreon and I did a little deep dive onto like how certain practical effects have like killed nearby animals on movie sets. Mm There have been a few examples of that, but like, yeah, it's not just like wildlife. It's just, yeah, the the kind of ecological impact that a lot of production movie productions have is... uh, I'm sure not great. The next like big, big blockbuster we cover, maybe you'll yeah. do a section on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Avatar 2, probably, because you know that that's Oh gonna... my God. I oh, mean, yeah. Ah. When we do the Avatar episode, that would be, that would be, because it's like, oh, this, that movie does claim to be uh, a lot of things, but you're like, bull, but what was the carbon footprint of that, Mr. Cameron? Can, can we get some numbers there? Mm-hmm. Among other things. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, does anyone have any other thoughts about the movie that they'd like to discuss? I want to say yes, but I'm blanking out. <laughs> I think that's that's everything that I had. There's so there was so much yeah. there's so much to love about this movie. Yeah, I do have a newfound appreciation for it. I mean, for me, like when I watch a movie, I'm mostly analyzing it until I analyze it through like the Bechtel cast lens. I'm just looking at it from like a mostly like story point of view and like how well are the characters developed? How compelling are the themes? How structurally sound is the story? How like effective is the world building? And I feel like some of those things in this movie is like what made it feel very like clunky. Like most of the world building is done through like very clunky dialogue. And I'm just like, come on. Lots and lots and lots of exposition. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But visually for me, some of the choices were strange. And again, I was experiencing a lot of sensory overload. But um, yeah, I do have a, I have way more appreciation for this movie than I did before we started talking about it on this show. So I, every time I see, I I was telling Caitlin this off mic before we started recording, but I was like, everything that I found confusing about this movie, I suddenly was like, I actually like it because it's all James Wan stuff. Like James Wan (laughs) created Jigsaw who, who, if can you think of a more expositional character than Jigsaw? (laughs) He the the movies are not particularly well written and they look absolutely weird every single time but it just it just works his movies are just vibrating that's the James Wan way yeah Jigsaw <laughs> is the ultimate I, they, I I guess listeners let me know if there's a character that um, is more inherently expositional than Jigsaw we should do a Saw month on the Patreon we, we gotta Ooh. do Saw oh god oh, <laughs> oh goodness does this movie pass the Bechdel test? I forgot to pay attention. It does. Uh, I I saw it passing one time. It is a two and a half hour movie. Maybe I missed something, but there was one interaction that Jason Momoa is present for, mm. and it's shot from the back, so it could have even been ADR. Uh, but maybe maybe someone flagged that, and James Wan was like, "Oh shit!" Um, yeah. But. <laughs> Nicole Kidman and uh, Mira have an exchange where Mira says something like, and you've been here for 20 years? And she's like, yes, Mm, I've been here for 20 years. And then they're like, anyways, Aquaman. But it does, technically it does pass. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, good for the movie. Uh, (laughs) They also had uh, two and a half other hours to, to maybe do that. And But that is like... 
that's, I think, an extension of a problem we've been talking about for five years now that the first time I remember talking about it was in our Star Wars episode four episode where it's like, how could this movie pass the Bechdel test? There's only one woman. She's got no one to talk to. And it's like, there's only two women Mm -hmm. and they only appear in one scene together. Where else is this going to pass? That's like a structural flaw. I mean, yeah, that does speak to how there are a lot of characters in this movie and most of them are meant. We get another like... There's a scene where Orm kills like the mermaid king man and then his daughter, his like teen daughter is now like the heir to the throne. So then she shows up in a later battle and she's like doing some stuff here and there barely. I mean, blink and you'll miss her. But other than that, th- yeah, there really like aren't any women. But like, for example, Willem Dafoe's character easily could have been a woman. True. Like one of the villain, like other of the villains could have been a woman. There are, are And I'm sure that that connects to like the comic books as well, but it's like this movie already this franchise already made changes independently of the comic book that improved the source material, so why not why not keep going with it? What if Black Manta's dad would have been Black Manta's mom. Mother. Right. Mm -hmm. Because then that really would have been shitty if he would have left his mom to die, you know, after what he did. Like, (laughs) no, fuck you. (laughs) You I mean, Black Manta could have also been a woman. Like, what's what's to stop that from happening? But I I do like the idea of, of it being his mother instead of his father, because then that's like Aquaman has like mommy problems and that would like heighten the conflict between the two of them if they have this like shared like right. loss of mother and blah, blah, like ah <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. it was right there true it was right that's why you don't it's let right an LAPD officer write your movie they're gonna <laughs> fuck it up fuck it up yeah um as far as our nipple scale goes uh zero to five nipples analyzing it through an intersectional feminist lens um, I would say between Mara and Atlanta, even though they are the only two women in the story and they don't really interact hardly ever, but as individual characters, like there's interesting things happening there. There's more equity between like Mara, who is positioned to be the love interest, but she's also more than that in this movie. She's out that she's mm-hmm. doing other stuff. She's fighting. She's solving clues. She has the agency to, like, seek out Aquaman to begin with. So, you know, she's far more important to the narrative than a lot of other, like, superhero movie female counterparts of hers have been in the past. So that's cool. The fact that this movie is representation of an indigenous superhero, a biracial superhero, uh, that kids, adults alike have seen themselves represented in is like really important, really powerful, very meaningful. The relationship between Aquaman and his dad and how there's like, again, so many father-son relationships are in movies are so steeped in like some weird form of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that's absent from this relationship, I think is a very positive thing to see on screen. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things going for the movie that again when looking at it through the (laughs) through the Bechtel cast lens uh, I appreciate it way more so with that in mind I'll give it like three and a half nipples because there's still some stuff Mm -hmm. that you know kind of rubbed me the wrong way 
the fact that the only black characters are villains, like why weren't there black Atlanteans mm-hmm. who are just existing in that world? Why aren't there other from a different kingdom or just like any yeah any people of color yeah elsewhere in the story because it's still yes. a predominantly white cast mm. and and then the are the only black characters we meet like they're immediately sidelined until the credits of the movie right yeah yeah and then you've got like randall park who seems like a very fun character i was like i'm What's so he? where's he give me more of him i'm pretty sure he has a very large role in the second movie i, I did a oh, little digging I so. and oh, i love randall park yeah, he's great. So I think there could have been more just diversity overall. But yeah, even so, I would three, three and a half nipples. And I will give one to Jason Momoa. I'll give one to Nicole Kidman's wig. I'll give one to... Always got to give one to her wig. And never to her. <laughs> And never to her. I'll give one to Randall Park and I'll give my half nipple to the, um, how do you say this word? Corinthian, Corinthian, no, not Corinthian, whatever the giant crab monster. Cthulhu. The fun monster. Yeah. It's Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Yeah. So that gets my, that's my half nipple. Uh, I'll meet you at three and a half. That sounds right to me. Um, Yeah. I I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I feel like, this movie is doing so much for a superhero movie. I absolutely loved and really appreciated you sharing your connection to it, Allie. Like it is yes. just like, I'm so glad this movie exists. And, and I'm so glad that the, yeah, that just that's how this world is. And that it, I don't know, like it subverted a lot of my expectations of just what I expect from superhero movies in general, but also just, you know, including a biracial character in a meaningful way, in a very like authentic and thoughtful way that was also true to like who the actor himself is and just all mm-hmm. of this wonderful thematic stuff. And then, and then I, I mean, in terms of how, I mean, and, and I, I agree that the two female characters that we have are wonderful and they have these fully realized stories they're very motivated they're they're also very white and (laughs) i really hope that you know in like like we've discussed already that there is diversity across gender in this franchise as it continues to develop which i i i want to believe is going to happen um also no like body diversity too like there's a a shot where like the two women are standing next to each other and it's like oh you have the same exact body type well you forgot nicole kidman is taller than her husband (laughs) what if mira was cast by like a big hulking gorgeous woman like (laughs) gwendolyn christie give it to me yeah (laughs) hell yeah or if that would have been aquaman's mom (laughs) you know like nicole kidman's Mm. beautiful what if it was right like ah We're fish people. We're gigantic, which is why he's fucking gigantic. <laughs> that would make sense to me. Anyway, sorry, I, I interrupted you, Jamie. No, uh, no, I'll, I'll go three and a half. I am now officially amped to see Aquaman two. Who knew? <laughs> James Wan's directing the new one as well. I appreciate mm. James Wan. <laughs> okay. Three and a half nipples. Gotta give one to James Wan. I'm his biggest fan. Uh, (laughs) Also, I'll give one to the Cthulhu as well. I'll give one to Jason Momoa. He is fantastic. I really love him. And I'll give my last 
half to Randall Park. <laughs> nice. Allie, what about you? Yeah, I, I think three and a half is fair because, you know, obviously the movie meant a lot to me for a bunch of different emotional reasons. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, it does have a lot of clunkiness in it. Uh, the exposition, like I said, is all over the place. There's a lot of information, a lot of backstory, um, but all of it is cool. <laughs> so I'm mm-hmm. a little bit more forgiving, yeah. but it just could have been done better birds of prey kind of does that too actually it's just a little sloppy a lot packed into yeah clunk. yeah a lot of characters i feel like it's like when you have that many characters you're like mm. well someone's gonna get lost in the mix like and yeah yeah i think it was supposed to be two movies and they just kind of like combine them mm. <laughs> and it feels that way that. yeah it does feel that way but like i said like a lot of the stuff the stuff that's clumsy is clumsy but not terrible. I've definitely seen so much worse in the DCEU on top of that. <laughs> like just right. Uh, but uh, the stuff that they did well, they did very, very well, like surprisingly well. So uh, yeah, I'll give it three and a half. Also, I'll give one of these nips to uh, Jason Momoa. <laughs> I'd like to give him two, but he can just have one. <laughs> I'll give another one to his dad. Because Mandalorian, yes. Timura. I'm going to give the third one to Black Manta just because. <laughs> Yaya is so hot. And I know that's not what yeah. is important right now, but I just had to say that. <laughs> He's hot, but man, he was also like, I know that there's a problematic element, obviously, with the black guy being the villain, but man, at least he mm. was a good villain. Right. <laughs> Which wouldn't have been an issue, again, if there were other black characters. Yeah. Right, right. But because he's he and his dad were the only ones and his dad dies, it's like, okay, well, that's pretty glaring. Anyway. Right, of course. Yeah. But then, uh, yeah, my half, I guess, will go to Nicole Kidman. <laughs> just just Nicole Kidman. She, just mm-hmm. get that. <laughs> I have to give the full ones to the people of color and the indigenous folks, and you can just mm-hmm. have the half. <laughs> just have <laughs> Well, Allie, thank you so much for coming back and joining us in this wonderful discussion and for sharing your your connection with this movie. It's like really moving. And I was like tearing up. Oh, and... Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for putting up with me during that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, Please come back anytime. Like, truly. I will come back for Avatar properly. I called Dids. Yes. Nobody else gets to do it but me. <laughs> You've got Avatar. Done deal. Just give me a call and be like, all right, we're doing this. (laughs) (laughs) And I will be like, yes, we are. My time. Wait, when does the next, when does Avatar 2 come out? 20 years from now, probably. Yeah, like not for another year and a half. We can't, it can't. It can't wait. We can't wait. Another decade. (laughs) It's never coming out. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) But yeah, I would love to come back. And thank you for inviting me again. I I love talking about movies. Yes, and we love having you. Uh, where can people, you know, check out your stuff, follow you online, tell us about the ALA test? We've talked about it before, but uh, tell our listeners who might not be familiar what the ALA test is. Okay, so the ALA test started off on Tumblr. It's the-ala-test.tumblr.com. And it was when I was in Finland and came up with a Bechdel test-inspired litmus test i suppose mm-hmm. for native and indigenous women where i noticed that when they appear in movies they're usually not a main character 
or a white guy's girlfriend or they get murdered or they get sexually assaulted and every single thing i've seen so i'm like okay let's look for characters who are the main character mm-hmm. so an indigenous woman who is a main character who is not the love interest to a white guy and doesn't get sexually assaulted or killed at any point in the story. Mm-hmm. And it took off, like, I don't know, people just really responded really well to this, which I was kind of surprised by. Mm-hmm. But I guess when you have, like, hard evidence, you know, where it's all like, no, I, I don't think I'm making this up by seeing this pattern. And it's a very disturbing pattern that mm-hmm. keeps happening. And people are like, yeah, actually, that is kind of fucked up. <laughs> you know, why aren't more characters passing the ALA test? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was kind of like, I mean, it was, I believe, like the first of its kind as far as like an ind- like a test examining representation of indigenous women in media and like when you have something like that that's like also like easily quantifiable Mm -hmm. or like qualifiable it like yeah Mm -hmm. i i'm not surprised that it took off because it's like it's a great way to like open up that conversation about representation of indigenous characters and women in media and that's all i really wanted it to do you know is just like start the conversation and then hopefully it leads to better movies and better characters Mm -hmm which I I hope it has like people have been mm-hmm. talking about it a lot. I think I mean it seems like it has. I it, it I feel like I don't know it it already has like such a cool like impactful legacy. <laughs> the Gina Davis mm-hmm. Institute called it out. So <laughs> Yes. That's amazing. Congratulations. That's so cool. That was amazing. She got me into the goddamn league. <laughs> uh, you're part of the Justice League now. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, and then I did another test. I think I was talking about this when we were talking about Movie Talks with Caitlin. Yes, yes, yes. Where it was, does the Indian live? Which is also, like, does the Native American character show up in the movie? And does he die? Mm-hmm. Okay, if he does, he doesn't pass, you know? So right. uh, that one hasn't quite as taken off, but that's mostly because I am not organized and <laughs> don't know how to run a website, so... I'm figuring it out. It's as I It'll happen. It'll yes. happen. It'll someday. happen. <laughs> but um, other than that, you can find me on Twitter, Alinati on Twitter, Alinati on Tumblr, Alinati on TikTok, if you really want to see me embarrass myself. Mm. <laughs> but, and on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love your uh, one minute movie reviews. They're really great. I haven't done yes. one in a long time. I need to do it again. <laughs> yeah. Bring it back. Bring it back. And then uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bechtelcast. We've got our Matreon, which is at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. And that's $5 a month. And you get two bonus episodes every single month, plus access to the entire back catalog, which is over 100 bonus episodes this month we did two of our most popular rom-com requests that we've just never done for some reason Mm -hmm. so if you want to hear us absolutely hand you've got males ass back to it (laughs) that's where you can go to do that how to lose a guy in 10 days as well um Mm -hmm. yeah the matreon community is so lovely and so fun and is is loose it you know we're hanging loose on the matreon so head over there Maybe. it's holiday time if you want to get some merch you can go to tpublic.com slash the bechdel cast and i think that's everything we'll uh we'll see you in december all right Bye-bye. bye bye this is holly fry from stuff you missed in history class 
The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details.